Thanks for listening, Unplugged Army. I'm Louis Unga, General Manager at Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. We're proud to present Doug Franz Unplugged. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Four minutes. Four minute offense. Four minute offense. Here we go. That's right, NLCS. Oh, yes. Everything you need to know in sports that affects Maricopa County, the state of Arizona, and the world, you get in four minutes. We start things off in South Philly. The Arizona Diamondbacks have game one of the National League Championship Series today. First pitch, 5.07. Zach Gallen on the hill for the Diamondbacks. Zach Wheeler on the hill for the Phillies. Both teams aces. Both guys named Zach. Torrey Lavello. Yesterday, 24 hours before first pitch, how are you feeling? They're normal feelings, first of all, and they're probably the ones that you imagine. Um, excitement, curiosity, um, and you know, just wanting to make sure that we go out there to the best of our ability and represent the state of Arizona the way we know we can. They've got three great pitchers, we've got two. So the game three is gonna be huge. Trying to steal game one or two is going to be even bigger. First pitch today, 5.07. Josh Dobbs, bad. 21 of 41, 235, and a terrible, terrible pick. He was also the team's leading rusher. Cardinals went 0 and 3 from inside the red zone. They lose 26 to 9. Up next, road game, another one in the division at Seattle. U of A couldn't have been better. 44-6 beat down over number 19 Washington State in Pullman. Fafita continuing the, to be the guy that needs to be the starting quarterback. 34-43, uh, 342 yards, no picks. He was great, and the team even better. On third down, they went 10-17. of 17. Up next for them, bye weekend, and then home against Oregon State. ASU comes back into action this weekend and they take on UW in Seattle. <laughs> Phoenix Rising needed to win to take over fifth place. They didn't. They lose two to nothing to Colorado Springs. That ends the regular season, drops them down to sixth place. They will now take on San Diego Loyal coming up Sunday night in San Diego at seven o'clock. How about the Coyotes? They're in a sense in first place. They won. Got a shootout victory over the New Jersey Devils. It was tied up 3-3 before they were able to win in the shootout. So it officially goes down as a 4-3 win. Cooley and Keller each had two assists in that game. Then they had off Saturday and Sunday. They're in action today. They take on the Rangers face off at four o'clock. Suns. They're in action tonight. They have their second-to-last preseason game up against Portland. It's the return of DeAndre Ayton, so obviously get excited about that. The Suns had an open practice on Saturday, and the arena was almost packed to be able to come in and watch it for free. Frank Vogel, how you feeling so far about being a Phoenician? Yeah, I would say that uh, very few teams I've been a part of have had the type of buzz around the city about uh, about our team than uh, we experienced today and uh, that I've experienced since I got here, honestly. Uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, I think they really believe in what we have here and we're going to pour everything we got into, into getting this done. 
And uh, don't blame Jeff Weir Production for the overmodulation. That wasn't on him. Game time at 7 o'clock. And finally, why didn't the dog want to cross the road? <laughs> A viral video coming out of Vermont from Patrick.Ryan22, in which he has what looks to be a golden retriever, maybe a lab, who is playing dead in the middle of a parking lot because the dog didn't want to leave. Where was his master at? At a brewery. <laughs> Good job, Pooch. This pup yeah, does not want to leave. The dog's actually alive. Don't be shocked. He's really alive. Come on. Come on. We're leaving the brewery. We have already had the beer. We're leaving the brewery. Come on. What? I don't want to go. I don't want to go. Oh, maybe I'll play with kids? No, I don't want to go. Okay. No, never mind. I am not going. I am not leaving the brewery. I'm not leaving. My day's not over. I'm going to play dead again. Here we go. Okay. Bye. And. Then Rover gets scooped up and carried to the car, which is really not that crazy because that's kind of how I leave a lot of breweries. Thanks, honey. <laughs>
This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. Wow. Four wins away from a World Series. Granted, so are the Phillies. Four wins away from a World Series. I get that. Just, just take one. Give me game one or game two. Just take one. I think the whole series is based on game three. I think game three is huge because not only is it the first game here and the test of our fan base to be as good as the Philadelphia fan base, but also that's where it gets weak as they get to go Wheeler, Nola, and then Ranger Suarez. We go ace, ace. We're fine in the first two games, Gallon and Kelly. And then it's Suar- Ranger Suarez versus Brandon fought major weakness. Everything else is kind of a wash, really. Uh, the the Phillies have a little bit of an advantage offensively. Their lineup runs deeper than the Diamondbacks lineup does. When you have Nick Castellanos at the ba- bottom of that lineup being the first player ever in postseason history with back-to-back multi-homer games, okay, that's a problem, and he's batting like seventh. Okay, that's an issue for the Diamondbacks. They're a lot deeper than the Diamondbacks are, but hopefully – the way the uh, run production for Arizona has been going in this postseason, maybe we don't have to worry about it. How are you? How was your uh, weekend? What'd you do? Mine was two things. All I did was work like crazy. So all day Friday was work. Almost all day Saturday was work. And then definitely after I got home from Mass, I got home from Mass yesterday about 1230. And, uh, and then it was, it was work from 1230. And then I finally went to bed at about 145 this morning. So I, I had an awful lot to do to get ready for today's show. So I'm jacked up. Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. I got to tell you about my Saturday night. This was this jacked me up, and I know Izzy's out there today. So this will probably jack up Izzy as well. I've lived here a long time now, 17 years. But Saturday night was the first time I finally met Charles Barkley, and I did. I admit to you, I did geek out a little bit because he knew who I was. <laughs> I was so I was so happy. I had, I have to admit that I was so happy. I was at uh, Eddie Johnson's event, which is an amazing charity event. Eddie Johnson does an event called, um, or there's a group called Helping Hands for Single Moms, and Eddie has been heavily involved in that group. And it's a charitable gala, and it went off very well. They did a great job at this event. And uh, I was thrilled to be invited for it Saturday night. So uh, I went and then I got to hang out with Tim Kempton and Tom Chambers for a long time. It was really funny getting crap from Tom Chambers for a little bit. So I was talking to them and then I didn't know he was coming. But then Charles Barkley came walking in and uh, walked right over to where we were because that's where Tom and Tim were uh, in this little area uh, off the ballroom. And that was really cool because... Uh, both he and Jennifer, we, we're not grandparents, but he's a grandparent. And him and Jennifer start talking about being a grandparent, and he starts showing her pictures of his grandkids. And it was just so funny. Well, that, there's Charles Barkley and my wife just talking about looking at pictures on cell phones together. So that was it was funny just to totally humanize him. And then, oh my gosh, the roast! It was a roast of Tom Chambers, and I won't repeat things that were said because I'm embarrassed for what was. Said. It was crazy. 
it was a crazy night, and uh, Charles opened up as only Charles can. So there was a lot of fun, a lot of fun on uh, on Saturday night. And then uh, I asked them, is there any way I could put this on television next year? They go, let's talk. So maybe – Maybe we'll do something like that uh, next year and have uh, and have a lot of fun with it, and uh, and and you'll be able to enjoy it just as much as I did on Saturday night. Kurt Rambis, if you ever find out what, do whatever you can find out what Kurt Rambis said. I'm not going to be the one to tell you. I won't be the one to tell you, but find out what Kurt Rambis said uh, at that uh, at that charity event. Uh, anything else? I don't think so. Just uh, let's let's get into sound credits. We got a lot to do today. Uh, azcardinals.com. This was weird. They gave us the Jonathan Gannon, and then last night they had uh, Josh Dobbs up on their website, and then suddenly, four hours later, they've taken it down. Now, I, I watched the whole press conference of Josh Dobbs. I didn't hear him say anything weird that you'd want to take down the press conference, but that was strange. That was strange to have that taken down. Uh, MLB.tv and uh, MLB Network, they gave us, really, the Major League Baseball's PR department, they gave us the sound of different Diamondbacks speaking at the podium during the after the workout that was held yesterday uh, on Sunday before today's game, and uh, and then we got some a lot of Jed Fish from U of A and their YouTube channel after their big win, dominating win over Washington State. Again, hopefully everything went great for your weekend. I'm ready. If you are, let's roll. Doug's big one. Doug's big one today. I know you'd love to have a prediction from me with the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I got to be blunt, I don't have one. I don't. Ha- I don't absolutely do not have a prediction. Number one, I told you the Brewers are going to win round one. Got that wrong. I told you the Diamondbacks were going to beat the Dodgers in four games. I don't know if you'll give me credit that it was a sweep, but I was one of the few saying Diamondbacks win. So I'm only one and one in my predictions as far as the Diamondbacks are concerned. The reason why I don't have a prediction is because of just how evenly matched these teams are. The only There's two small areas, and that would be starting pitching once game three starts and a little bit better offensively is, is the two things I would look at. Uh, I like Corbin Carroll as the, as the leadoff hitter better than I like Schwarber as a leadoff hitter. I like Trey Turner as a number two better than I like Cattell Marte. I like the Diamondbacks three and four hitters better. But then uh, it's bad news from five through nine. I would rather have everybody on the Phillies five, at least five through five, six, and seven. I would rather have the Phillies. So I'm going to give an edge to them offensively and an edge to them in games three and four of the series. So. And I mean starting pitching-wise. So obviously that means I'm leaning slightly Philadelphia if I'm looking at it without being a fan. But the difference is two things. I don't think the Philadelphia crowd is going to be the advantage that it normally is because the starting first baseman is from near Philly and the starting uh, pitcher tonight is from South Jersey, which is basically Philadelphia. Sorry, Jersey. So because, and maybe sorry, Pennsylvania, that I said that. So because of that, I don't think it's going to be as oppressive, the noise and the intensity. I mean, that crowd is intense. They look up your your mother's name and talk about your mom to you, okay, if you don't know what it's like in Philadelphia. They're crazy. Uh, one of the most hilarious things I've seen a fan base do is when they were winning 7-1 to one in Game 3 at home of the NLDS, the Phillies fans started the tomahawk chop right in the face of Jeff Weir production. 
Yes, they started the tomahawk chop right in their face because they're up 7-1, to one, and they wanted to mock Braves fans because the beatdown was so bad. Now, I've been in a lot of baseball games. I've been in a lot. I've seen a lot of baseball games. I've never seen an opposing fan base use a cheer against the team that normally does the cheer before. That's kind of the brilliance that they are as fans in Philadelphia. But I think the Diamondbacks will be prepared for that. So I like that. If you don't mind me being specific, Doug's big one today is a stare down of Cattell Marte. I didn't, I didn't get this ready for you, Jeff Weir Production, but will you put our Cattell Marte graphic up when you get a chance? Reason why I'm looking at Cattell, oh, you're like lightning. The reason why I'm looking at Cattell Marte as the major piece for Doug's big one Trey Turner's unbelievable. If you don't know the story of Trey Turner, below average player this year before August 4th, after August 4th, a dominant force in the game. If there's such a thing as a two-month MVP, it would be Trey Turner, okay? Cattell Marte needs to be able to counterbalance that. He needs to be just as good as Trey Turner. Now, I did some research, and if you're not watching right now on WTSMTV.com, we have a screen graphic up that I think is worth your time to watch the show on demand today just to get to see this graphic. You've heard me talk about your slash line. That's your batting average, then your on-base percentage, and then your slugging percentage, okay? That's what the slash is. You want the slash to be 3-4-5. At the bottom of your screen, you'll see where it says regular season. 276, 358, 485. That's for an elite player, okay, not not average player, an elite player, that's below average, below average, pretty good, okay? But for a Cattell Marte highest paid player on the team that's not Madison Bumgarner, that's bad. That's not good enough. However, when you look up and down the rest of the numbers, March and April is basically the same month, okay? So March and April, not good, borderline terrible. May, June, July, really good, especially is June slugging percentage. But May, June, and July, you're really happy with. August was a disaster, like an embarrassment. So when you look at that, you've got really, and I'm going to combine March and April because they only had three games in March. You have two months where he was basically completely unfocused and embarrassed the family. I mean, those numbers are atrocious. But look at the rest of the months. That's not bad. May, June, July, and September. So he got destroyed by two months, but had a good four months. Now look at the postseason. 318, 348, 636. So above average, not quite very good, but not terrible. Outstanding. Okay, those are the three numbers there. He's got to be that. He's got to keep this postseason run going. It's a great graphic. Good work on that, CEO Chris. It really shows you in bold print how bad Cattell Marte was for two months of the season and really how solid to good and that one July slugging percentage great he was that it shows you he was just destroyed by a couple months, and that's why he's nowhere near MVP caliber conversation. He did have one of the worst years defensively of a second baseman, so there's a lot of issues there. But the, the, the young man just drips with talent, drips with talent. So it's got to come today. He's got to be as good as Trey Turner because you're not going to stop Trey Turner. 
So therefore, Cattell Marte has to be there. If that happens, now you can ask someone like Corbin Carroll to counterbalance more of a Bryce Harper. And you can ask Christian Walker to balance out Castellanos. And then little by little, you start mixing and matching. And this is not how baseball is played. Okay, there's never a time that it's Castellanos versus Christian Walker. All right, it's Walker versus Wheeler. It's Zach Gallen versus Castellanos. But in order to have this become a victory, you have to have the elite players of the Diamondbacks play at an elite level every time. The Phillies lineup is too deep and therefore relying on the Perdomos of the world to do something special, that's a bit much. You're going to need a Gurriel to be a little bit special, a little bit better than he has been. And then whoever is going to be playing in right field or maybe Alec Thomas to continue hitting a couple home runs and get his average up to around 240 or 250. Now, each of these guys needs to do a little bit more than they normally do because the offense for the Phillies is that much better. So Doug's big one, though, I'm staring down Cattell Marte today. Cattell Marte has a good series. I think the Diamondbacks can win the win the National League. If he doesn't, I don't think they can. He's got to be the balancing act to be able to limit the damage of what Trey Turner can do. If you want to know point two of the series, it's all about game three to me. First game back in Arizona, Brandon fought on the mound, and it's mostly the bullpen. Got to try to steal one, game one or two and then try to hold it together in game three. Then you're up two games to one, let's say, going into game four when Gallon and Kelly will get the ball back. Huge. Huge to get a 2-1 series lead into game four. I don't like the Diamondbacks winning in other scenarios. Okay, obviously, if the Diamondbacks win the first two games in Philly, yay, okay, I'll give you that. But I don't see the Diamondbacks coming back from a 2-1 deficit starting game four. And I don't see the Diamondbacks certainly coming back from an 0-2 deficit, especially with the pressure that would be on Brandon Fought in game three. I think this is all about game three. All right, let's get into the actual uh, sound that we have for you. I want to go Gallon first and then Christian Walker, if I could, uh, Jeff Weir production. I'm going to go Gallon one Gallon only, I guess. Gallon one, Christian Walker one, and then I would like to skip to Tory two, and then I'll go kind of in order after that. So Gallon one, Walker one, Tory two. Let's start with Zach Gallon. The reason why, if you're listening, you're wondering, okay, why does that matter? Why? What? What order are you going in? I think it's important to talk about the Philly aspect with how great the crowds are in Philadelphia, how are the Diamondbacks going to be able to handle those crowds? And I do believe having Zach Allen and Christian Walker from the Philadelphia area is going to help make that work. Here is Zach when he was asked about pitching in Philadelphia. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, it's interesting for sure um, to you know start game one in the NLCS at the, the field, the stadium you grew up coming to as a kid um you know coming to see teams play um but i mean it's it this is about the nlcs really is what it's where my emotions are um still gonna go through my routine um i'm playing for free here with all the t- all the tickets uh compared to anywhere else but uh yeah i uh yeah it's this is about the nlcs um you know, the external factors uh, i'm gonna block, you know block them out as best i can 
people are you expecting? A lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Uh, uh, I'm sure there's people that have tickets that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not even responsible for. Um, but I got a big side of the family on my mom's side, so, you know, it comes to the territory, I guess. It's a line that players say a lot, and I think it's always been funny. I'm playing for free. T- players usually get two tickets to a home game, but they have to pay for any tickets beyond that. So they, they're they actually paying for the tickets. So Zach's paying for them. The whole family's there. Mom's got a big family. Okay. The first time Zach ever pitched back in Philly, it was bad. And I think he had so much on his mind, and he was being pulled in so many different directions. And that was a good thing for the Diamondbacks at the time because he really learned – how do I need to handle pitching here? And he's really limited his access for this week. Now, he said after game one, maybe coming up on Tuesday, he'll catch up with some family. And you can see how that would work. Because the game time is today a little after 5 o'clock, 8 o'clock Eastern time. So it'll be a late night for his family. Most of them, I bet you, have Tuesday off, and they're spending the night in a hotel. So he can go see them Tuesday and spend some time with them Tuesday before the game when he doesn't have anything else left to do. He's really locked in for today. So I don't think that's going to be an issue. So I think that's important. And because of that, Starting him in game one, not only because he's your best pitcher, obviously, but because he's used to Philly, I don't think that crowd's going to get into his head. I'm not saying he's going to be great today. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to, the crowd is going to affect him. And that will hopefully establish either we get lucky we get the win, or at least that the Diamondbacks play well enough that Merrill Kelly can feel it for a day. Just sit in the dugout and feel the energy of the crowd. Know what he'll be up against, and everybody will be a little more used to it for game two. That's going to be really important. So I love Zach Allen getting the start. Now, Christian Walker, he's not from Jersey. He's from Pennsylvania, but he's he's from, I think, about 25 miles away from Philly, so he knows it very, very well. And he was asked about any memories of this stadium or going to games or watching previous postseasons as a young Phillies fan. The, the World Series moments, um, the, the last pitch, uh, I, I used to have it. Um, as the background on my phone through through high school, um, but you know, just what I remember the most about that time is just the energy, the energy of the city. It's it's what you see on TV when you watch these games. Um, you know, it's one of the few stadiums and atmospheres you can you can feel the excitement through the TV. And um, you know, growing up a Philadelphia fan, um, you know, the Eagles games kind of have that vibe. You, you take pride in being that. Um, you know that that energy in the stands, and um, you know that, I think that's what I take from it the most is just just the overall excitement of the city. And you know, I remember kids wanting to take off a of high school for the parade and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's a cool city to uh, to advance in for sure. So he loves it, he embraces it, and if you didn't know, the Diamondbacks had a game, a, a simulated game, this last weekend. They played a game at Chase Field, and they had the crowd noise turned up as if they were playing in Philadelphia, and it wasn't loud enough. And manager Tori Lovello called upstairs and said, I want this 
you know, much louder. And it was almost ear piercing how loud they made the crowd noise. And he wanted the players to get used to trying to communicate in an environment like that, in which Philly fans are bringing that much noise. So that was kind of an interesting thing. Speaking of, of Tory, Tory Lovello was asked this question in his mind, is there an advantage for the fact that Zach Allen and Christian Walker are both from Philly so they can kind of get on top of the noise and help prepare their teammates? I, you know, I know that he's pitched here for the past several years and he's had an army of people come out and support him. And it's well documented that, that, that this, this was where he grew up. The one thing that I know I can say about Zach Gallon is is he's good as anybody I've been around. It's slowing down the moment and not being too overexcited. You guys will get a chance to talk to him. For those that don't know him or haven't talked to him, you can tell how his mind works and how he is he he is very um, very slow moving and process oriented with everything that he says, does, and and executes on a daily basis. So. I think he will be excited, as we all are. Once again, uh, you know, I don't want him to deny the excitement, embrace it, and figure out how to get back into your routine. And Zach will be in a good spot tomorrow about, uh, with the biggest concern, being able to go out and execute his game. That's, that's what I, I can guarantee you he'll be ready to do. And he'll be able to block out everything else, whether it's excitement or that curiosity. Uh, he'll process that all and be ready to go. I totally agree. Again, I think the crowd noise can really get to other players, but I think we're going to be okay. I, I do think we're going to be okay. And the other reason why I think it's it's a terrible disadvantage, but the other reason why I'm going to be okay, I think we're going to be okay, is sadly the amount of the other team's fans that continually invade Chase Field. I, I think the Diamondbacks players are used to dealing with noise from any everybody else and noise not for them. They, you almost have to have an us-against-the-world view to be a Diamondback in the first place. You've had, they've had games this year with 11,000 people at Chase Field. That's it. I mean, it is not easy. You can say all you want. Hey, they're a millionaire. They need to go out and play. Yes, you're right. They do. But there's something to the juice of Fenway Park. There's something to playing in Philly and hearing that crowd push you in a day where you just don't feel like it. And then you have the, you have the crowd pushing you. You don't get that as a Diamondback. Everybody's either against you or there's nobody there. And now they're prepared for a fan base like Philadelphia, I think, in my opinion. All right, let's get to some of the Christian Walker stuff. And, and I want to go through a lot of Diamondback stuff today because I'm jacked up. I really want game one. I think game one is going to set the tone. I, I think they might be chasing their tail a little bit if they don't win game one. And it's just because Wheeler is so good. Zach Wheeler going for the Phillies today is so good that if you're able to push their ace to the brink, then that kind of... That, that, that kind of shatters some egos on another team. And the same thing can happen to the Diamondbacks. If Zach Gallen gets blown up in the first two innings or something, it's going to rock everybody's confidence because I think most of the Diamondbacks know if we don't have good outings from Gallen and Kelly, we're not going to win this series because we know it's too much to expect for great outings in games three and four. So that's what everybody's watching. So even if the Diamondbacks lose today, if they get a good outing from Zach Gallen, I think everybody's going to feel fine. That's going to be the big issue. Um, 
what would you say right now, Christian, your your current focus is going into game one? Yeah, I think I think now is the epitome of sticking together. It's um you know, it's it's not not a lot of us have have been here. It's it's uncharted territory to some extent. It's it's exciting. It's it's fun. Um, but it's cool to look around and, and see the excitement in your teammates' faces and um, you know the motivation and all that. It's it's easy at this point in the year. It's you're putting the team first. It's it's win at all costs. Your your personal numbers are all aside. It doesn't matter. Um, and I think there's something special to that. Uh, that that mentality is showing up. It you know you get to the field at one o'clock and it's it's how are we going to win tonight and it's it's a lot of fun it, it's um you know the the long season the 162 is is you're, you're playing the long game you're, you're trying to be smart over you know over six months and you know this is about winning today it's it's a much different dynamic but um you know very excited to be here with my teammates the ultimate time to stick together and i think that's important because of what they've been through this season but Without me telling you what they've been through this season, listen to this from Christian. He was asked about a, a comment from JT Romuto. Real Buto is the uh, really good catcher for the Philadelphia Phillies, and he was asked what is Arizona doing right or what is something that, uh, that, that you're seeing from them that makes them really hard to beat. And he said their confidence. He said the Diamondbacks are playing with such a high confidence right now. They're 5-0 and in the playoffs, and they're just bludgeoning people. So they, they feel like they belong, and it's always hard to beat a team that's feeling that great about themselves. And it's a really good point. So then that answer from JT Real Muto was then um, – I don't want to say translated, but then given to or explained to Christian Walker, and it was used to formulate the question, where does your team's confidence that you have right now, where does that originate from? Yeah, there's there's two moments there for me that I, that I think of. Um, the early success in the first half, I think that was um, initially it was like easy to buy into ourselves. Um Everything was clicking into place. Everything, we, you know, we were exactly who we thought we were to start the year. Um, coming out that middle stretch around the All Star break, it, it changed the, the the dynamic change. You know, the, the box scores were were different, and we were put in a position where we had to figure out how to get this thing back on track. And um, you know, I've talked about it before. It wasn't really like one thing or one moment or um, you know one hitters meeting or anything like that. It was it was a slow progression, and, and I think that that was part of you know how organically it was all happening it we, we were aware of what was going on and we knew that it was going to change it was just a matter of weather in the storm and um that was the second thing i think to have the early success and buy into ourselves and see what we were capable of and then to have to overcome something the adversity in our face and uh when, when you come out on the other side of something like that I, it's that much easier to buy into it and to be excited and um you know try to try to realize you know maybe what contributed to it or or maybe what didn't help pull yourself out of it there's there's always an angle to learn something or um you know help the team grow and and i think that that second that speed bump there was was big for us it's such a strong comment and i don't like talking about it because i have to basically admit how horrifyingly wrong i was during that segment of the season I wasn't wrong in anything I said about how bad they were playing baseball-wise end of July throughout all of August. The baseball was that bad. But I kept mentioning in passing 
it's crazy how no one else is taking advantage of this. But I kept thinking of doom and gloom that eventually the Reds, the Giants, somebody, maybe even the Padres for some strange reason. I, I point behind me because the Padres are so far behind us. <laughs> but I kept looking at the other teams thinking somebody is going to figure this out. And it was only the Marlins that passed them to take the five seed. That was it. The Diamondbacks never really got passed by anybody to get pushed out of the playoffs. The Reds came probably the closest. At one point, the Reds got to about uh, two and a half games, I think it was, to knock the Diamondbacks totally out of the playoffs. It was just such terrible baseball that I assumed they're not going to the playoffs because they're not turning this around, and even if they do, somebody else is going to pass them by the time they do. One of the worst opinions I've ever had as a talk show is I don't like to say it, but I got to eat it because of how much better they started playing and really how bad everybody else played. We're still talking about the 13th best team in Major League Baseball through the regular season in the Arizona Diamondbacks, but they found a way. And there is Christian Walker saying that speed bump is partially why they're here. He call, it's easy to call it a speed bump now. It wasn't while they were going through it. That was not a speed bump. That was a crater that they, that they were dealing with. The last one from Christian Walker I think is a really important topic because when you get into the postseason, sometimes you don't even know the team that you have. As we've talked about the Diamondbacks this year, this has not been a power-punching lineup. But in the five games of the postseason, they have been a power-punching lineup. Third inning, game three against the Dodgers proved positive of that. They're hitting home runs at a much higher clip than the regular season. Where did this come from, Christian? I think when things feel like they're right, like running on all cylinders, it's uh, for me as an offense, it's, it's about protecting each other. Um, knowing that the guy behind you is going to put together a good at bat and could be dangerous in the eyes of the opponent. Um, you know, they're, they're forced, they're forced to pick who they're going to go after. And, and right now it's not a clear answer on our lineup. Everybody's playing their role really well. Everybody's getting jobs done. People are getting on base. Um, you know, it's, I like to think when, you know, when Tommy's up at the plate and they see me on deck, Right, they're, they're picking who do we go after here and I think when when everybody's on the same page and we're, we're all doing our job together it's it makes it hard for a, a, an opposing staff to to dissect you know who the targets are and and you know who we're circling on on you know this guy's not going to beat us today and um, yeah I think I think we, we force teams to make make decisions I'm cheating mind you so that's why if you're watching right now I'm I'm turned away from the uh from the camera, but in in watching the situation, I'm wondering if that's really true because the depth just isn't quite there to this lineup. What he's talking about is the great subject of protection, and no, don't snicker and, and, and be funny about that because if you are an analytics guy, you don't believe in protection. I realize that's continually getting funny. Here's what I mean. I'll never forget Keith Law, friend of mine, really good baseball analytics guy, writes for The Athletic, 
what I said about protection for Paul Goldschmidt, and I thought the Diamondbacks one year needed to make a trade to get better protection. And Goldie was having a borderline MVP season, and the answer from Keith Law was, who? It, what do you think is going to happen if you put somebody else behind Paul? What number of Goldschmidts is going to get better? And it was an interesting point of view because the theory of protection has been around forever in baseball, and it really makes logical sense. If you've got Babe Ruth, you're going to pitch around him because you know you want to pitch to the next guy. Well, if the next guy's Lou Gehrig, well, you're just as worried about Lou Gehrig that you you know you can't pitch around him. You can't pitch around Ruth. But then you look at the numbers of Babe Ruth, and it's like, wow, look at all those walks. They're still pitching around him. So it's not that much different than this situation of are you real? If, if he's the by far the number one guy in the lineup, no matter how good number two is, you don't want to pitch to number one. So therefore, you pitch around him. And Christian Walker's explaining who do you want? Corbin Carroll? Do you want to attack Atel Marte? Are you going to attack uh, Tommy Pham? Are you going to wait and then attack me? Where are you going to go? But then listen to the lineup after that. Gabby Moreno, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, Alec Thomas, Evan Longoria, and uh, and Gerardo Perdomo. Do any of those names, do you really think that intimidates the Phillies? That's five guys. So I appreciate what he's saying, but I don't believe that the Phillies are really worried after they get through Christian Walker. Now the thing about Gabby Moreno this guy has been amazing at just where are you pitching me? Fine. You want to pitch me outside? I'm just going to serve it over the second baseman's head, and I'll be fine, and I'll get my base hits. And then now he's actually developing a little bit of power. I think the game has slowed down a lot for Gabby Moreno, and you're seeing more of him. Lourdes Gurriel deserved to go to the All-Star game. If he can pick it back up, now I'm looking at Christian Walker's comments and saying, you got that right. Here's Tori Lovello. I like this question. It was from Cam Cox. And give credit to 12 News. 12 News put one reporter in L.A. to cover the Rams, one sports reporter in Philly to cover the uh, D-backs. So you've got people on both coasts and still had a great host last night in Lena, Washington on 12 Sports Tonight. So I thought that was really impressive that we have a local station that's spending the money to to be able to handle situations like this. Uh, So Cam asked him, Tori, 24 hours before pitch, what are your feelings right now? They're normal feelings, first of all, and they're probably the ones that you imagine. Um, excitement, curiosity, um, and you know, just wanting to make sure that we go out there to the best of our ability and represent the state of Arizona the way we know we can. Um, we are prepared. We've been we've been having meetings all morning about the Philadelphia Phillies, um, so we're going to walk in here today and, and have a, a, as best a workout as we possibly can. I want them to um, feel this air. I want them to feel this 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 stadium, so we can come out here tomorrow and just do one thing, and that's go to play our best baseball game so far of the postseason. So they're they're. The entire room is probably feeling the same thing, and, I, and you know how I am. I want them to embrace what they're feeling and not and not push it down or push it aside. Talk about it. What's real is real, and they're going to feel the way they feel. But it's general excitement that that gets me up and gets me moving every single moment. It made me think, 
and we're talking about game one in Philly today, so this doesn't apply. But when he said, I want the guys to feel this air, I think he meant just the excitement in the air, being in Philly game one, you're four wins away from the World Series. I think that's what he meant by feel this air. But if there's a chance he meant the chill in the air in October that comes through the rest of the country, I would love to see the Diamondbacks have the roof open in game three. (laughs) Now, just so you know, they don't have any control over that. That is a decision by Major League Baseball. They control, in a postseason game, the conditions. Well, not the conditions in the sense of make it windy. No, but they control all of those stadium functions. So I guarantee you the roof will be closed with it being over 100 degrees this week. But I would... I would actually like to see, I assume, even though the Diamondbacks have played in any hot weather, they played with the roof closed anyway. I just think living in Arizona, the guys are used to the heat that the Phillies players would not be used to. And as a fan base, yeah, it would kind of stink. It'd be a little uncomfortable for watching a game in 100 degrees. But for our D-backs, wouldn't you suck it up? I would. Sit in the heat. Let's go. We've already got the game sold out. I would love to stick it to the Phillies that way. I think it'd be a... uh, Pretty good idea. All right, let's get to uh, Mike Hazen. And uh, this was – I was really glad somebody had the courage to ask this question. I haven't heard anybody ask this question. There's a famous – if you want to Google it, it's hilarious. There's a famous video of Tommy Pham upset about fantasy football and actually smacking another player over it. Well, upset, and Tommy Pham seems like an angry person all the time, okay? Just seems like an angry person. And someone in the media asked Mike Hazen – did you, with that video being viral, with everybody knowing it, do you did you look at that? Did you think about that? Did you really do a lot of work on that video and on the attitude of Tommy Pham before you made that trade? Yeah, we asked a lot of questions. We asked a lot of questions of players and clubhouses that he's been on, teammates, um, staff members, and. What you got back and didn't align with what you may have seen publicly. You know, we were told how hard he worked, how obsessed he was with being good um, in his practice every day. And I think our team is fairly serious under the hood. I think we work really hard. We have a good young group of guys that do that. So we felt like that was going to be a really good match. And it has been a great match. I was told specifically by people, I should say by people, by a person in the organization that they felt like since their guys are so hardworking that Tommy wouldn't be as angry. He would just be hardworking. Now, the, there's video out there already this year. Well, he was only a Diamondback for a week or so and getting upset at fans. But he says of the things that they said. But his anger does drive him to succeed. It does not distract him. I, I Listen, I wish he wasn't as angry all the time, but I want to win, and if he's angry while winning, knock yourself out. But the point was he is so driven and focused that sometimes when he's been on teams that aren't driven and focused, he really rubs everybody the wrong way. And the Diamondbacks felt like they needed an intense dude to come in right at that moment as the as July started to slip away, never knowing that August was going to get much worse, 
But eventually things turned. September got a little better until the very end. And now, of course, we're loving the way the Diamondbacks are playing in October. This is something I didn't know. I I guess I could have looked it up and learned about it, but I didn't really know. And that was um, just how close the Diamondbacks were. I say close, but in the thought process of not drafting Corbin Carroll. As great as we all look at Corbin Carroll, Bryson Stott of the Phillies was still on the board. And I really appreciated somebody asking the question, how much did you like Bryson Stott? What you know, what went into your thinking of choosing Corbin Carroll over Bryson Stott? Because it was just a couple years ago that these two players were drafted. Two picks apart, Stott and Carroll. Yeah. What were the conversations like around that time? Yeah. I wonder how, to what extent was Stott on your board at one point as well? We love Bryson Stott. Yeah, I, I mean I, that added to the to the to the best walk-up song in, in baseball. I think guy gets guy gets where he plays. You know, it's it's a um, gives the people what he wants with that with that song. Um, we love both players. Um, we were on Bryson very early. Um, we loved the way he played the game. We had Corbin a little ahead of him. Um, but I know they were neck and neck, and we were hoping one of them was going to get to us at the time when it happened, yeah. That was the uh, Adley Rush, uh, Rutschman draft, and I wanted to tell you I, I got that wrong. I thought it was Corbin drafted ahead, and Bryson Stott was drafted 14 by the Phillies, and then the Angels drafted Will Wilson after that. I would never have remembered that, to be quite honest. And then at 16, the Diamondbacks drafted Corbin Carroll. So Stott got drafted two spots ahead. So you can imagine people in Philadelphia, they like Bryson Stott. He's good, but they clearly believe, oh, that was a mistake. Look how good Corbin Carroll is. And that's why it's such a good question by a member of the Philly media of trying to wonder, hey, you know, how – what would have happened if we would have drafted Corbin Carroll? And he's kind of almost testing the Phillies GM. Did you make the right choice? And you notice Mike Hazen said we had Corbin Carroll slightly ahead. I don't think he's a liar. Now, truth be told, almost every GM does lie about the draft. And I know he's being very careful because he doesn't want to say, you know, we thought Bryson Stott was not going to make it. He's not going to give any bulletin board material. So, of course, he's going to say he was very high on our board. And then making sure Corbin Carroll knows how important he is to the organization, you say, we had him slightly ahead. Clearly, the Phillies didn't. So I wonder how long that's going to be something that the Phillies uh, really uh, worry about. This, uh, this other one. And, and this will be Hazen 4, if you don't mind, uh, Jeff Weir Production. I'm really excited about this one. The reason why I've respected Mike Hazen a lot, if you don't know his story, he played college baseball, or excuse me, he played a minor league baseball, but very low-level minor league baseball. But he's a complete analytics guy. When you've actually played the game and you're an analytics guy, that lets me know that you understand that human beings play the game and not calculators. And that there's got to be gut feel. There's got to be patience sometimes. It can't just be a numbers game. That makes you easy to manage against because then the the opposing manager always knows what you're going to do because he can look at the same numbers. And when I heard this, this was a question about how well the young guys have come together and how much it looks like the team has fun together. And the reason why I liked it 
is this is one of those things that a hardcore analytics guy doesn't say. This is a true team chemistry answer about why he thinks the young guys came together so well in 2023. I think a lot of them have come up together. Um, I, we have some experience with that in other places of watching some of the kids come up together, develop together. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it means a lot. I do. I think it matters. I think in the moments when in the postseason, when when the anxiety ratchets up, when the when the when the when everything matters a little bit more, I think the trust around and playing for and with the people that you love in your clubhouse, I, I, I do. I don't know. I can't objectively prove that, but it feels that way. And I'm, this is a this is a very close clubhouse, and a, and it's an enjoyable team to be around. Not not just because they're good people, but they work so hard. They're passionate about this. They, you know, the guys like Tommy and Longo and and Seawalk and the, and it it's it's a it's a good group of guys to be able to, f- you know, feel good about the success that they're having. You don't need an explanation with that one. But I do want to tell you, did you hear his voice cracking a lot? And at the beginning of that one, the way he had to cough and kind of clear his throat, that wasn't a cold, that wasn't anything like that. That was raw emotion. And I realize you're wondering, why in the world would he be emotional about the players coming together? Well, I like the answer because he talked about it really does matter that they all came up together. They're used to seeing the other young guys succeed in the group and therefore they believe in everybody that's going to do their job. But the reason why he got emotional was the previous two questions. And this this hit home uh, for me. I got, I got a call, I would say about a year before the death of Nicole Hazen. And it was a member of the Diamondback staff. And he just said, Doug, I want to tell you, point blank um there's only one other person outside the organization that knows this and you're number two and he goes at least as far as i know i don't know if team if if other gms and anybody that mike has told and uh, we thought you should know that you know mike knows you're always going to ask how the family's doing and that was kind of like what i always started every conversation hey how's the family blah 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 he says he really doesn't want to go there. Is there a way that you can not ask that? And I, I, I kind of got defensive. I'm like, you guys think about what you're asking me to do. How, how dumb is that that I ask almost everybody, how's the family, and yet suddenly stop caring or, or, or not be who I am to Mike Hazen? And they go, well, we want to tell you why. And Mike's having a hard time answering the question because the family's not doing well. His wife, Nicole, is suffering from brain cancer, and it, it just doesn't look good. And, he, you know, does he say this is what's going on, or does he not say it? Does he say everything's going well with the family when it's not? And and Mike just doesn't feel like anybody cares about it. They want to see wins. We're not winning enough games. This was, you know, a couple years ago. So how do you feel about that? And I, I still didn't like it, I admit, but – Okay, thanks for being honest with me. Thanks for letting me know. And I I didn't go down that road for a little while. And eventually the story broke by another means of what was going on. And and then, you know, we had Mike on the old show to talk about it. 
But Mike is one that held in every emotion all the time. He just felt like when I'm at work, I don't want to think about it. I want I, Work was his escape. So therefore, when he was with Nicole, it was all about Nicole every second. And when he wasn't with Nicole, he wanted to be focused on the team. And he didn't even like it when people at work said, how's your wife? Because here he is. I got away from it. I've got. I had a car ride to Chase Field to forget about it. Now I'm focused on what I need to do right now, and then somebody wants to bring me back into that world. And what did he have to say every time? She's going to die. You know, I mean, he didn't really say that, but that's that's kind of. I'm speaking for him a little bit. I'm sure he doesn't want me to, but that's kind of what he felt. So it was almost like, you know, can we drop this? And then they win the National League Division Series. Then they do it against the Dodgers. And it's about 13 months after the passing of his wife. So he was asked about the TV cameras catching him in his GM booth after game three, showing more emotion than we've ever seen Mike Hazen show. Uh, He lost. For, For Mike Hazen, he lost it. And what was interesting is a guy that never openly would talk about Nicole without somebody asking him the question as he tried to answer the question about his raw emotions coming out after game three he went there on his own which allowed Cameron Cox of 12 News to ask the absolute perfect follow-up if they want me to you know I don't know you win a playoff series in this league. We haven't been in the playoffs in six years. There's been a lot of hard work, a lot of a lot of stuff has been lived through, a um, lot of effort by manager, coaches, players to get to that point. Um, the Dodgers have wiped the floor with us for six straight years. Um, yeah, being able to beat them, there, there's no, there wasn't an added satisfaction. I mean, winning the playoff series was the added satisfaction, but um, you know. One of the things that I I, I feel like I'm trying to learn, I've never been good at this, um, is enjoying and appreciating certain moments you have in your life that I don't think I was very good at before. So, yeah, if we win games at home, I'm going to jump in the pool four times. Real quick, Mike, the moment before the game with Mm -hmm. your kids throwing out the first pitch, what was that like for you to watch? Incredible. Incredible. Um... You know, we were we were such a baseball family. Like the Diamondbacks meant so much to her. The Red Sox before that, the Indians before that. Like, and it wasn't necessarily just because of baseball; it was because of how much it meant to me and to our kids. And so to watch them have, sort of have that moment, you know, where where the one thing that Nicole said to me as she was as she was dying was that she didn't want to be forgotten. We, we, we could all, right, we could all understand that feeling. You know, time moves on. Everybody knows what happens and she didn't want to be forgotten. And that moment gave us another opportunity to talk about her. And that's what I'm most appreciative when Ken and Derek asked if that would be okay. Um, that's what I'm most appreciative of is that we got another chance to talk about her. <laughs> Good D-backs. That's... Wow. Mike is a, he's a tough nut to crack. He, he's not one that opens up. 
And uh, um, I bet there's also a little bit – I bet he's thrilled as he starts to change a little bit of who he is to honor his wife, to be more open with his emotions. At the same time, even though I think he he knows that she knows this, but there's a little bit of a, I wish you were right here to see my progress as I'm getting more open with that stuff. Uh, wow. Jennifer, I just want to tell you I love you. Thanks for being my wife. Uh, as That's it for D-backs today. I, I'm probably going to do this a lot this week. And until they get eliminated or win a World Series, probably uh, almost an hour a day of, of Diamondbacks. As uh, Think about it. They're in the Final Four. They're in the Final Four. Rangers, Astros, D-backs, Phillies. That's it. No Dodgers, no Yankees, no Braves, no Cubs, none of the huge big city, even though Dallas, Houston, and uh, uh, Philly are all top seven markets in the country. (laughs) We don't have the three biggies in this one. And sometimes Boston fights its way into the top four. So I think Philly is normally the fourth biggest city. Sometimes it's San Francisco, but there's no San Francisco either. I mean, that's what we've got in front of us right now. And the opportunity is here. So I want to give you as much Diamondbacks as you could take and be able to take a long look at the games and things like that. All right, coming up next. I haven't touched Cardinals yet. I thought Joshua Dobbs made a lot of mistakes a week ago mentally. How did he do this weekend? You probably know the answer. Not good. Again. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged. We're presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's hot. We've had a pretty hot summer here in Arizona. Who can you trust with your air conditioning? There's only one place my family has ever trusted in Arizona. And that's Parker and Sons, heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. Call 602 to repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. And the reason why I suggest them to you as passionately as I possibly can is I know they've showed up on time to my home every time. And they've gotten it right the first time every time. And they've treated me fairly every time. What else can you say? Plus, they don't charge anything for nights, weekends, emergencies. That means something. Because when your air conditioner goes out in the summer in Arizona, that's an emergency. You need repairs fast. And you can trust Parker and Sons. How do I know? Because my family does. 6022 repair. That's 602, the number two, then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker and Sons. Rosati Sports Pub in Chandler. It's on Ray and McQueen. Sounds like a sports bar. What's the difference? You walk in and they actually have games on TV with the sound on. How many times do you walk into a supposed sports bar and they've got loud music on or somebody playing live or some kind of trivia game going on and you're there to watch the game? If you're like me, a simple guy, give me my pizza, give me my wings, give me my cold beer and make sure I can hear the Suns and D-backs, then you want Rosati Sports Pub and Chandler. All members of the Unplugged Army, welcome. Rosati Sports Pub, give me the game. talk cardinals in just a second but i want to let you know you have entered into the wtsm tv week of winners that's right the week of winners 
starts this week in which we've got a lot to give away. And if you haven't done it yet, jump on an opportunity to be a winner. Step one, you log into your account. And if you don't have an account, hey, sign up and get yourself an account. It's it's not that good. It's like, the guy, what was it, Gerding? I forget the guy. I got totally distracted by that guy's face there on the lower right. That's fantastic. Um, you can uh, visit WTSMTV.com slash wow as well. Wow actually stands for just simply week of winners. And then what you do is for today's giveaway, you click on the day of the week. So you would be really dumb if you clicked on Wednesday today because you're not winning Wednesday's prize today. You click on Monday. And as soon as you click, you'll find out whether or not you are a winner. Now, you have to make sure that you're 18 so your kids can't have a chance to play. So, therefore, we do need your birthday. And then, after you enter your birthday, it'll say, okay, we'll allow you to enter the contest. Then you give us your name and your email, and then you've got a chance to be a winner. Today, we're giving away a $100 gift card to PETA Jungle. They specialize in Greek, Mediterranean, Lebanese, and Middle Eastern dishes made from fresh ingredients. They are The owners are ASU graduates, and the first location was in Tempe, opened in 1994. They are famous for their pitas, but they also have salads, burgers, pizzas, and amazing desserts. They even have a vegan and gluten-free menu as well. 24 locations in the Valley. Visit PetaJungle.com for your chance to be a winner of a $100 gift card to uh, Pita Jungle. Well, you go to PetaJungle.com to, to actually order Pita Jungle. But go to uh, WTSMTV.com slash wow, as in week of winners, in order to see if you can have a, if you are a winner. All you do is click. Just do a couple clicks, and then it'll pop up, and it'll tell you if you're a winner or not. You don't have to, like, do any dances or anything like that. Cardinals a loser yesterday, and it was kind of embarrassing. 26 to 9. And the thing is, if you didn't know where we are right now with the Diamondbacks, let me cheat and grab a... Where did I put that sheet of paper? Just a second. Is there any way to edit that out there, Jeff Weir Production? <laughs> when I'm wandering around my own office? Later. Um, here are some stats that you, should, that you should know about that are really quite ugly. All right? Right now in the fourth quarter, the Arizona Cardinals are losing 64-7. to it's the worst point differential in the NFL. First worst fourth quarter point differential. Cardinals 64 to 7. One fourth quarter touchdown and that's the extent of all scoring. They've lost 5 games now, but 3 of the 5 losses they've all had halftime leads and 3 of them. Now, it puts us in a weird spot to talk about the Cardinals because number 1 I am of the opinion that they were going to lose almost every game, maybe win two games. Was that a moth that was flying behind me? What was that? That was my cursor. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Now that's funny too. So I've been distracted by the guy girding or whatever that is with his lip over his nose. And then I saw something flash on the screen and I thought, oh, I'm about ready to be attacked by something and didn't realize I was afraid of an arrow not fired by a bow. Hold off on JG too. Uh, Okay. Okay, um, so with that, with th- those two things, that's not good. Sixty-four to seven in the fourth quarter, they're losing, and three of five losses that are actually coming, allowing the the opposing team to come back from halftime. 
This game against the Rams, a twenty to nothing is the or twenty to nothing is the second half score. If they were just getting blitzkrieged all the time, I would be able to say, well, this is just a talent issue, and you know, there's nothing that you can do about it. But when I, I'm really struggling with the problems of being able to do something correctly in the first half and then falling apart in the second half. That's not just a talent issue. Now, no, you're not going to get me to back down that Jonathan Gannon is the guy, and I think Jonathan Gannon is going to be a very good head coach for a second team, wherever he gets his second job from. He's going to be a very good head coach. I, I just don't believe in Michael Bidwell's uh, ability to lead a franchise to success and, and, and sustain that success. So whatever Jonathan Gannon does, eventually it'll not be good enough. He'll leave. The, the, the organization will still be average at best, and then he goes somewhere else and does well. But watching these games lately, Joshua Dobbs – uh, Jonathan Gannon was asked point blank, and it was such a short clip. I didn't ask for Jeff Weir Production to cut it, but he was asked, "Hey, do you are, are you worried about? Are you seeing any regression from Josh Dobbs?" He goes, "No, not at all." And then just moved on from it. Now, granted, it was a yes or no question, but Joshua Dobbs, I thought, had a very poor mental game last weekend, where he just simply misreads the defense is saying go here with the ball, and he wasn't able to figure that out by the time he got hit or that it, like in the uh, the second play of the game on the bootleg taking a sack on a naked bootleg things like that it's just you like stuff you just can't do and he was doing it this weekend was a little different one really bad mental error on the interception he threw the ball behind Zach Ertz when that's not the read at all the read is behind Zach Ertz, in which Zach Ertz has cleared out and opened up space past the the uh, the weak side linebacker and in front of the safety, in which you could have hit Rondale Moore, and he goes right up the seam, basically right up the middle of the field, and probably gets a touchdown. But he locked on Zach Ertz coming across and hits Ertz and throws it behind him. So you combine a mental error and a physical error, it turns into an interception, and they go the other way. That was terrible. It was terrible on the part of of Josh Dobbs. And the other ones were a lot of physical errors. Twice he had Marquise Hollywood Brown open for touchdowns and missed him. On one of them, he underthrew the ball that allowed the corner to come, or I think, yeah, it was the corner. What was crazy about it is I think he was supposed to have safety help, but allowed the corner to get back and knock the ball away. And when you think, okay, Doug, kind of go a little easier on him, it's just a bad pass. The problem is that ball was tipped away at about the three-yard line. That means you missed it by somewhere around 13 yards. You still had three yards of field to work with and a 10-yard end zone to put that ball somewhere in that vicinity to where the corner couldn't get it and only your guy could get it. And if you underthrow that pass, you actually risk an interception. If that pass is slightly more underthrown than that, it's an interception. Basically, Dobbs had a touchdown pass that he did a better job turning it into an almost interception than he did an almost touchdown. That's, that's a pretty brazen negative right there. And then on another touchdown pass, or should have been touchdown pass to Marquise Hollywood Brown, Along the right sideline, he basically led Brown out of bounds. Now, receivers are taught, don't run straight down the sideline. 
push in so now you give your quarterback a little bit of room to, for you to come back and get the ball between you and the sideline. I thought Marquise Brown gave him enough room. Now, truthfully, the quarterback's job is to put it on you anyway. The quarterback's job is to make the good pass, whether you've created that space or not. But by creating that space, you are able to make a situation better for your team. You help a margin of error. The closer on a, on a nine route from the sideline, you're able to push into the inside, the higher the margin of error for the quarterback. But we're still talking about margin of error. It's still an error by the quarterback if they're not able to get it where it needs to go. So that was two really, or just three really, if you count the other one to Rondale Moore, three wide open missed opportunities for touchdowns. One bad read that included a bad throw, two good reads and terrible throws. I still think Joshua Dobbs is one of the top 62 quarterbacks in the world, right? Well, 64. I still think he's a good backup quarterback. But sadly, you are seeing the difference between a starting quarterback and a backup quarterback in the NFL. Those plays have to be made. Um, So it's third down, the play right before the 55-yard field goal to take a 3-0 lead. That's when he missed the first time to, uh, to Marquise Brown. First and 10, four minutes to go, fourth quarter. He did something I just don't understand. He, st- he got rushed from the pocket, not his fault, steps up into the pocket, great job. And then he's got a wide open lane to run right or left. And he rifles a pass straight ahead of him, four yards up the field, that becomes an incomplete pass. Joshua Dobbs, you're almost faster in the first four yards than what you can throw it. And, that, and I think you threw it to Ertz. He would have had to catch it and turn around anyway. You would have picked up five yards faster than that throw was going to pick up five yards. Terrible decision on that one. A 7-15 to go second quarter, fourth and five. Uh, That's the second uh, missed touchdown pass to Marquise Hollywood-Brown. Then third and seven, 7-37 to go third quarter. Terribly inaccurate to Rondale Moore. First pass of the fourth quarter. Throws the interception behind Ertz to Rondale, and it should have been to Rondale Moore. He's got now. This is when you're kind of out of sync. They're they're down by two possessions, but with 4:35 to go in the fourth, it's a third and ten. Mercado's wide open, and he throws into triple coverage, trying to force the ball to Michael Wilson. And then second and 22 throws that pass behind Pascal. It, it was really a rough watch. A lot of mistakes from him. Uh, JG, what do you think the issues were in this game? Can you list them all? You know, I thought defensively in the first half we played well. Offense probably missed some opportunities in the second half. You know, we got the ball, uh, didn't stop the run well enough, and then we're kind of playing left-handed and, you know, had to turn over there and game kind of got out of hand. So um, we got to coach and play better for four quarters. We show spurts, but we're not consistent enough throughout 60 minutes to win a game. So that's what we'll get back to work on. It's a hard one to explain. Now, clearly the Rams did something that was dramatically different. When you make adjustments, you've got to be able to adjust back. The Rams, I don't know why they got away from a running game against a weak defensive line, but they didn't run the ball well in the first half. Started the second half, very first drive. Rams ran the ball eight straight times. Seven of the, the first seven runs, highly successful. Eighth run, not that great. So you've got, that's weak playing. That's not coaching, okay? 
It's not coaching at all when you when guys are not just getting off block. There's no coach that can devise a defensive scheme that gets you off of a block. You've got to get yourself off the block. So they weren't doing that. But then Nick Rollis didn't have a great game and had a terrible second half when you see, think that once he had Kaiser White on Cooper Cup and then a, quite a few times he had Clark with no safety help on Cooper Cup. Listen, a lot of times somebody will say, well, that's just the matchup. That's the line. I, I will. Ne- you can never get me to understand that. You will never get me to understand why a defense says, well, because he lined up here, we had to cover him with Kaiser White. Like You don't have anybody. There's none of the 11 guys. No one can make an adjustment and say, you know what? That's probably not a good idea. Let, let's change this. Let's not let that happen. Like, you have a whole week of practice and you don't know that Cooper Cup sometimes lines up just off the hip of the tackle as if he's a tight end just to be able to say, oh, since he's lined up here, now he's magically a tight end and we guard him with a linebacker. That's just stupid. And listen, the people that I'm calling out, there will never be a day I know more about football than you do. Never. But I will never understand how no one has the logic to say white versus cup is bad every time for the Cardinals. So let's change. Let's anticipate at some point Cooper Cup's going to line up here. And when he does, we're not going to go to our standard. Well, the linebacker always covers a player in that spot. We're going to say that's Cooper Cup. Because here's what's crazy. And you tell me if you think I'm, I'm being rude, Okay. I have the ability to look at Cooper Cup and do something defensive coordinators can't do. I can look at Cooper Cup and say, that's not a tight end. I don't care where he lines up. That's Cooper Cup. He's not a tight end. And somebody for the Arizona Cardinals said, oh, that's a tight end. Wearing number 10, let's put a linebacker on him. Instead of saying, well, okay, wait a minute. They just moved him away. They just moved him into the spot to trick us. Let's not fall into that trap, but that's not what they did. Nick Rollins said, nope, that's a tight end. So when you look at the second half and how bad your offense was, JG, and you look at the second half attacking run game from the Rams, does it make you mad? Um, No, I wouldn't say mad. I would say that uh, we got to do a better job of making sure that we're executing at a high level. They know exactly what we're trying to get out of the calls. And, um, you know, when they punch us, we got to punch back a little bit. So, you know, they beat us in the second half, and they made some plays and executed, and that was kind of the, the, the ball game. Yeah, yeah I guess. It's, not, it's, it's such an official trend that I can't just wash it away of they made plays, we didn't, that was the ball game. Because second half collapses are becoming the norm. Or everybody knowing that's – Jamar Chase is the guy, stop him, can't do it. Christian McCaffrey is the guy, stop him, can't do it. Cooper Cup is the guy, stop him, can't do it. I mean, that's – like I realize Williams got off too, but that's – I'm not going nuts on the coaches that Williams got off. If you're a coach and you're saying, I got to stop Cooper Cup and I need to expect you, professional athlete, to get off a block – I'm more understanding of Williams. I don't understand the McCaffrey, the Chase. I should go in order, really. But McCaffrey, Chase, McCaffrey, and now Cooper Cup. That's the one that 
that's really inexcusable, to be quite honest. Okay, I mentioned that second-half drive. Seven straight successful runs, eight straight runs overall, just pounding it right down their throat, and then being able to get a Cooper Cup touchdown out of it. JG, what what happened in that second-half drive by the Rams? No, we got to do a better job stopping the run. We talked about that because we were doing well um, against the pass for the most part and getting them to third down. And um, I thought our third down execution was pretty good. So you could tell that was clear that they said, you know what, let's, let's try to get it to third and manageable or not even get it to third down. And that one drive, you know, we just got to adjust quicker on defense. That's, that's my job. Yep. I appreciate I really appreciate Jonathan Gannon always putting it on him. That's his job to make adjustments. Okay, but you do have a defensive coordinator. You do have position coaches. And you do have players that are allowed to get off blocks, play physical, make plays. Now, it's not all their fault. Okay, when you look at the the decisions made by Michael Bidwell to continually keep a non-focused general manager who wasn't doing his job, that's a lack of desire to win. When you have an owner that's not investing into the team like other owners invest into the team, then that's his fault. And therefore, your players aren't as good, either talent-wise or they're not as prepared physically as other organizations prepare that their team. That matters. So that's from the top down. But we can blame everybody. Like a lot of times when you, when you might hear a talk show host, you'll hear them say something like, it's this guy's fault. Well, it is. But that doesn't mean everybody else is in at fault, okay? We can get give 100% of the blame of what Michael Bidwell is supposed to do as an owner and give that to him. We can put 100% of the blame on what Steve Kime was supposed to do as a general manager and blame him. I'm not going to put any blame yet on Monty Austin Ford because there were so many holes that he had to fill. So, that there's only so much you can do with one offseason and one draft. I'm looking at JG and I'm saying, okay, I realize you're behind the eight ball. I'm rooting for you. But three halftime leads that your defense blew and you're supposed to be a defensive guy. A score differential of 64 to 7, the most points allowed in a fourth uh, for the fourth quarter so far this season. No one has allowed more points than your defense in the fourth quarter. You're a defensive head coach, so that's on you. Nick Rollis, keep up. Jamar Chase is a good player, okay? Christian McCaffrey's a good player. Cooper Cup's a good player. Figure out who the good players are and just slow them down. I I don't think anybody uh, – I'm not sitting up here saying Cooper Cup isn't good enough to get 80, 90 yards receiving against great teams. It's going to happen. But is Cooper Cup really going to get 148 yards and a touchdown against everybody this year? I, I don't think he's going to – is Christian McCaffrey going to get four touchdowns against everybody this year? The Browns defense did pretty good. Is Jamar Chase going to get over 150 yards, set a franchise record, and get three touchdowns? I mean, this is the trend that you're not stopping. I I get it. It happens once, but you're not stopping this trend. And then, like I said, the horrible play, in my opinion, of Josh Dobbs in this game, and this is JG talking about all the missed opportunities in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's just a little bit of execution. I'm sure he wants to throw back here or there, but, um, you know, I know Hollywood wins when he's one-on-one. we got to find, find ways to convert some of those. I like that. 
I like that. Now, he later went on to say to make sure, hey, you know, don't blame everything on Josh Dobbs because we've all got to get better. And I get that, but don't be afraid to say it, you know? Don't be afraid to say it. Yeah, Josh didn't play his best. And uh, and I, I hope nobody else is sitting there pointing a finger at Josh. We know Josh is the type of guy that will look himself in the mirror and he's going to work hard to get better. But we've all got to get better. No doubt. No doubt. He's a competitor. He's a warrior, and he'll get back in the lab. And it's not just Josh now. It's me first, coaches, all the players. You know what I mean? We all got to pick up our, pick up our uh, feelings a little bit and go compete tomorrow. And that's, that, that is why I like him. He's always including himself in the players. When Bruce Arians first got here, I liked him because Bruce Arians always talked about, I'm going to call out players and coaches. I'm going to call out everybody. And he talked about being brutally honest. And I thought that was good until the last two years when he really wasn't being brutally honest. He was not calling out coaches anymore. When it was clear that coaching was a major issue, different position groups were not getting coached up properly, complete failure of special teams, and yet he's still talking about the players but won't talk about his coaches. And that creates a division, and I I agreed with the, the forced resignation kind of forced retirement of Bruce Arians that occurred I think it was deserved because Bruce didn't want to change so therefore he was forced into the retirement and I I supported that I didn't know enough about Steve Wilkes to know if that was a good hire it seems like a disastrous hire at the time but now I don't know because he was so fantastic at Carolina last year that it's it's easier for me to look at Bidwell and Kime and say okay what did I expect how did I expect Wilkes to overcome that when you look what a good job he did uh, last year as the interim head coach? Uh, the last one is, I like this question. I'm normally, not, I'll just tell you point blank, uh, I'm not a fan of Greg Moore's writing style. He writes for the Arizona Republic. I don't think he's a very good writer, and he's had a lot of weird questions in the time that I've known him. I think he's a very nice person. I don't have anything against him as a person, but I, I just I don't enjoy his writing. He I want people that make me think, and especially when you disagree, I want to learn. And he doesn't he that that doesn't draw me in the way his style of writing. But I like his point blank question. Coach is the second half the result of scheme or execution? No, I think it's 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 all of us. It's it's neither of the two. It's it's all of that. You know what I mean? So a couple plays here, a couple plays there. Make sure we're calling, putting them in the right position, you know. And then, um, you know, I'll just take a good hard look with the coaches of, you know, when we get later in the ball games, um, are we giving our guys a chance to execute at a high level? Um, Because it doesn't matter about how many plays you got on the sheet, what can we execute? So that's our job. We got to do a better job of that. I don't know what the answer, it's neither, it's all, means. <laughs> That's kind of a weird answer. <laughs> but I, I, I think the answer is yes. There are plays we're calling that it's the correct play that's not being executed. And there are plays that there are times we're calling plays that are being executed right, and it still leads to failure because they beat us on the play call. I, you, you've got to admit that, and that's exactly what's happening. And then it is a coach's fault even if you call a play correctly, was it not executed when you've coached up the player well and the co- the player screwed it up? 
Or are you asking a player to do what they're not good at or where they lose that matchup? They're going to lose that matchup, and you're hoping they get it right this time. Can't call plays on hope. And I don't know how often that's happening, but I think it's a brilliant question because it's one or the other or both. There's no way it's neither. It's not a great answer from uh, from Jonathan Gannon. That's our look at Cardinals. They take on Seattle next weekend at Seattle. I think the Rams are getting healthier, so I think they're a little better than Seattle. Seattle lost at Cincinnati, but I think that's a wake-up call for them, so I don't think they're, they're going to take the Cardinals in any kind of a weak mindset. I think they're going to bring it, so I think it's going to get even rougher this week for the Cardinals. All right, coming up next, I got quick little U of A and quick Suns, and then let's talk a little bit to Steve McCollum, the main event. I got to tell you about my great pick in versus Vegas that I'm pretty pumped about. That's coming up. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. I want to dive into um, a little bit of U of A. I was going to do a little bit of a preview tonight. DeAndre Ayton's coming to town. I'm like, eh, it's all right. Let's skip it because U of A's win was so good. They deserve some attention. They knocked off number 19, Washington State. That's not the story. The story is the score, 44-6. to I've said it once. I'll say it again. Biggest mistake Todd Graham ever made is always waiting to get Taylor Kelly back into the lineup and not realizing Burko was hot. Should have stayed with Mike Burkovici. Didn't do it. I look at the same thing with U of A. I, I really am afraid Jed Fish is going to make the big mistake. Noah Fafita is the starting quarterback for U of A, in my opinion. Here is uh, the head coach talking about the uh, the whole first minute is just what this win meant. Okay, well, it was uh, a great football game. Um, hats off to our staff. I thought our coaching staff did an incredible job preparing our players this week, and I thought our players did an incredible job preparing Um they, uh, they came back from a 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning landing on uh, Sunday, and um, we got right to it, and we prepared, and uh, we had a triple overtime loss against USC, and uh, we know we were uh, we know we're good, and we got to show it today, and uh, we spent the whole week preparing to have our best outing of the year today. I believe we did that against a very good team. Washington State's top 20 in the country. Um, and we went on the road and played our best uh, best brand of football. So excited about our offense, excited about our defense, excited about our kicking game. And um, more importantly, uh, we as a staff are excited about the direction of our program. Uh, we know that we're in a spot right now where uh, Arizona football has uh, has gotten to a spot where now we're competing with everybody in the country. By the way, just so you know, that was not Jeff Weir Production filming that. So if you got a little car sick if, while you were watching that, that was not Jeff Weir Production. Uh, the next one, do me a favor. We're going to skip number two. Let's go to number three because this is a big deal. He was asked about the performance of Fafita. Give him, give him an example. And he is still playing this close to the vest. You can hear him talking positively about Noah, but it's just like, yeah, Noah's supposed to do this. Again, I probably could answer that question with everything. Um, I think we had, I think he was about 80% completion today, 78%, something like that. Threw for over 350 yards, uh, no turnovers, threw the ball away when the opportunity, when the, when it wasn't there, took a sack um, when he had to take a sack and um, did a great job of, of running our offense. And um, that's what makes these quarterbacks special is how hard they work to, 
run um, what's an NFL offense and um, the same offense they see on Sundays they get to do here at Arizona. I think the number one challenge for Jed Fish for his entire tenure at U of A, and honestly, I don't think it's going to be much longer. I, I'm totally serious. With what he's doing there, I think he's going to become a head coach somewhere else very soon. But in watching this, I think the number one thing is being able to try to get U of A to that next step. Right now, they're the little engine that could, and this is special what he's doing. But to then become a top 25 team and consistently win as a top 25 team, consistently win on the road when the other team is totally taking you seriously. That's step one. That's the tough. That's going to be the toughest challenge of Jed Fish's U of A career. I think the second toughest challenge of his U of A career is right now, is when he's going to name Fafita the starting quarterback, or is he going to make the mistake of going back to Delora as the starting quarterback? I think that'll be one of the biggest decisions that he's ever going to have to make as the U of A head coach, unless Delora's gone all year and he's already leaving after the year. Uh, I'm not trying to do that to stick it to you, U of A fan. I'm just saying a Power 5 team that's not really very powerful with a coach that's done this much in this short a period of time, that's exactly where big money programs go to get a head coach. All right, coming up next. Got a great conversation coming up with Steve McCollum, and I stare down Deion Sanders for ruining my perfect versus Vegas. That's next. This is Doug Franz Unplugged, presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass on WTSMTV.com. It's big, it's juicy, it's meaty. Get your burrito at Burrito Express. If you're having a hangover, a bad day, even a good day, still get your burrito at Burrito Express. It will make you feel better. Burrito Express started with my father about 25 years ago. He got laid off and decided that he needed to do something to provide for his family. My brother and I were older teens, 17, 18 year old. I'm going to do a trial out of my house. So literally we decided we're going to start out of his house. So we delivered uh, menus in a square mile area, literally started delivering burritos out of our home in Mesa, Arizona. And after about a month, he said, let's do this. Went and found his first location. And believe it or not, that's how it started. We started with one location back in 1995. Now we're where we are now. Diamondbacks has everybody jacked up. I think it's the best thing in the world for the Cardinals because they're they're able to avoid the attention. Uh, Steve McCollum joins us right now, host of the main event with Dale Hellestray. It's coming up from 8 to 10 this morning. Steve, were you invited by Michael Bidwell to go on the team plane to uh, uh, no. uh, to L.A.? No, I don't work there. Oh, 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 oh. I, uh, I had to laugh at Fox sucking yes. up to that level. They never. I get it. If you show it and you mention the athletic article about the team conditions, mm. but to not mention the athletic article and, oh, look at this wonderful gesture by Michael Bidwell, how cheeseball. I, I, well, I guess I disagree with you. Okay. Fox did what they're supposed to do. They're not going to get down in the weeds and say Michael Bidwell's a dirtbag or whatever they're going to say. I'm not right? asking them to get in the weeds, uh, but, but if you're going to suck up, then bring up the other side. Well, it's not. Is it sucking up, though? Because it was, regardless of what you think, it was a good thing that Michael Bidwell did. Was it an obvious PR ploy? Yes. 
Uh, and, That's and why it, I don't think it, it was really a good thing. Because yeah, when but you're doing for, something just to I know, but for Fox, they don't do care. That. They're they're just telling the story. I know. I trust me. I I, I get what you're saying, uh, but I think Fox handled it the way they should have. I would say you got it. It either don't touch it, and I'm fine if they don't touch it. I, like no, they have to touch it. But if they're going to touch people coming, then you've got to touch the the article. You got to do one mm-hmm. or the other. Nah, not in that not in that time frame. I, I disagree. But my favorite part of that deal was what the Cardinals put out, where he's out front shaking everybody's hands. Get out of here with that garbage. Yeah. Cheese ball. And then yeah, how just, many people are really wanting their selfie taken with Michael? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Even people that work there. Are you kidding me? Yeah, get out of here. Yeah. That's stupid. I've been on a lot of trips like that with my boy. I've never once been like, hey, let's take a selfie before we get on the plane. <laughs> I, would, I, can't have, I think I would have been thrown off ASU planes when I used to travel with them if I would have tried to get <laughs> selfies with people as, I, as yeah. I'm walking up. I mean, look, it, I get it. He's got to spin it. He's got to spin it somehow, right? Yeah. And, uh, and all of that stuff. And, hey. Give him credit. At least he doesn't have that jackass PR guy they had before that just went after uh, after the guys, right, and called them deadbeat dads and stuff like well, that. Well, so you got to at least give Michael credit. He got a good PR company finally. Well, that, what's really weird about that, and I've never understood that, the guy that wrote that attacking you know PR thing about Terry McDonough, he didn't work for the Cardinals. He was a paid-for firm outside the Cardinals to write that. And I get, well, that's what I mean. I, he, but, yeah, look, distance yourself from it. But he wrote that for Michael Bidwell and the Cardinals. Yes. Oh, no, 100%. I mean, but that's what was so weird about it is why you have your own PR. That, that's all your media relations team is, is a PR firm, basically. Yeah. So you is it you didn't want them blamed for what was written, yes. but you wanted to go, okay, so yes. now you've done that and you've paid him that. And then he's never said anything ever again. And they've never taken that website down. That's why it's so weird. They still hold on to that. And that's that's why I think Terry McDonough is going to win his arbitration case. Well, that's uh, well, whether he wins the arbitration or not, he's got you know he's got the defamation claims one hundred percent. You're know? right about but, that. But uh, I mean, that's that's blatantly obvious today. If he doesn't win the defamation case on that, then it's rigged against people yeah. because yeah. they went after him. You know, outside of his role in yep. football, uh, type of a thing. But um, I can tell yeah. you where they're at is it's in mediation where I think the NFL knows we need to get this thing settled without our own arbitration yes. happening. Because if it goes to arbitration and it's totally arbitrated, not mediated, then what's going to happen is that gives him the right. To go to yes. a civil court, a civil court for uh, for defamation. If, if you, they have it yeah. mediated, you know it'll be part of the situation. Yeah. Will be, if, and you can't take it out of here. Yeah, if you don't know how this works, uh, I'll give you behind the scenes okay. for everybody out there. So, um, the the company with the bigger pockets that is <laughs> going to lose. Uh, basically go until basically try to bankrupt you and they go and they go and they go until you finally give in and you settle before it gets to any court case, anything like that. You saw it with, uh, you know, the Rams owner case. Uh, you saw it with Daniel, uh, Snyder case where they didn't want any of that going to court because then you have to do discovery and stuff like that. That becomes public. So what big companies do is they will starve you to death if you're the little little uh, fish on that deal. They'll make you go bankrupt because it won't bother them at all. They don't give a crap to avoid all of that. And they go until you settle. And then they'll give you a lot of stuff to settle to shut your mouth. But that's how it works. So that's why the yeah. John Gruden case is more interesting. 
He's got the money to, to hold this up in court forever. Right? He's making $10 million a year. He's got the money to not settle. McDonough, I don't know his financial situation, but I suspect what you're going to find is he's all of a sudden there's going to be a settlement one day. He made good money, great money compared to human society. Yes. But he did not make Gruden money. He yeah, made yeah, no yeah. money to the point of being able to take him directly on. Yeah, yeah. But Terry McDonough is the type of, type of guy that emotionally doesn't want to settle. So, therefore, Mm -hmm. it's more like, okay, how long is the lawyer going to hold out? Because I'm sure the lawyer is probably not free, but it's just more of a percentage of whatever a settlement might get. Well, that's that's what they do, right? Same thing, like when you get in uh, trouble with the government for somehow, right? Is the government's just like, all right, well, we'll keep going to court and you keep paying your fees. We'll just keep taking back taxpayer money. You can't win in these battles. You want to? Interesting. You want to do it, but you're going to lose because they can withstand you they can withstand you by years by the way so yeah. even if you held on for six seven years you know they can hold on for 15 20 30 and it doesn't matter to them at all and uh they don't think twice bankrupting you roger goodell yeah. and they, they could care less about you folks <laughs> and I, I bet you're along the same lines i don't know this but i bet it's the same i bet that's exactly how the kugler family feels yes because sean kugler is the one that was shipped off from mexico city and I look at that, and, and he is still in denial that this happened. And I don't know how you get that one wrong. I mean, that, that's yeah. that's hard to get wrong well, so, so unless you just want to get rid of a guy. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I'm speculating on the Google, but at that point, I think you're – you're basically just trying to get a settlement from them. Yes. yes. Uh, and so there's two ways you got to do this. One is you have to break through the initial, you know, barriers and you have to get to the point where, okay, NFL, this is our proof, whatever. And the NFL goes, okay, we're at fault. So they have to fit manually go, okay, we need to settle with this guy. And then, of course, you have the initial, I'm not settling because I can yeah. win this. And you have your, yeah, victory. Uh, and then the NFL's like, all right, cool. Well, we'll see you in 10 years. Keep paying those lawyer bills. Well, we'll see you later. What's coming up the on problem. the main event? Uh, lots of college football talk out there. Yotes got their first win the other night. Uh, and uh, I don't care about them anymore. You, you saw the email. Uh, they can go F themselves. Uh, the owner's a dirtbag, a uh, piece of crap, uh, you know, needs to sell his things. Uh, but on a serious note, a uh, big win for them the other night. Uh, and then uh, coming home this weekend and some big matchups coming up. They should fight for the playoffs this year, uh, college football, and then uh, all that fun stuff. Coming up. Oh, well, thank you very much. Uh, it's time for. Versus and just a quick note to Steve McCollum. I have no idea if Steve is still listening. Steve, I wanted to get together at about 10.05 today, but never mind. I now know how you feel. <laughs> so I, I, there you go. I haven't said anything about it on air. So uh, now I, I, we don't need to talk. I, I, I get it. I'm kind of with you on that, to be quite honest. Uh, it's time for Versus Vegas. Versus Vegas is where I, the minnow in the waters of sharks, the amateur, try to give you my predictions on what I think is going to happen. And I will puff out the chest. Do I get to puff out the chest? If I say you should look at this, even though I didn't have the courage to do it. You know, Jeff Weir Production, I will ask you to be the judge and jury on that. Let me ask that again. Do I get to take credit if I'm telling everybody else I think this is going to happen, but I don't have the courage to back it up? No, sir. You got to put your money where your mouth is. Uh, you're, you're probably right. <laughs> so here's what happened. <laughs> If, you rem- if anybody remembers Friday's show, on Friday's show, I said, if you haven't seen it, this looks perfectly for a Browns upset over San Francisco. 
where they probably aren't going to have Deshaun Watson. The 49ers just came off this huge game against Dallas. Now they're playing at 10 o'clock in the morning body clock time against a bad team. Great defense, but bad team. Not starting their number one quarterback. I could really see a letdown coming from San Francisco. So I, I think you should look at the chance of an upset. Now I took the points, so I got the game right. I took, I did get that part right. I took Cleveland. I actually had it at ten. It settled at nine and a half. So I had Cleveland plus ten, and I didn't need any of the points. Cleveland wins nineteen seventeen. So I did not say the 49ers will lose this game. I just said everything is set up ripe for an upset, and you should look at it. I don't know if anybody listened to me on that one. But I got the game right by taking Cleveland plus the 10. I said Fresno State minus the 4.5 at Utah State. Would you like to know how I did? Minus 4.5, minus 4.5. So if it's a 5-point win, I'm a winner. Fresno State, 37. Utah State, 32. (laughs) Take that, Hook. Take that. And then I got one wrong. Colorado, minus 11 and a half. Home against Stanford. You didn't see about, if you didn't hear about this game. Minus 11 and a half. That means... If Colorado wins by 12 points or more, I get the pick right. Colorado is up at halftime 29 to nothing. 29. I only need a 12-point win. Colorado is up 29 to nothing against one of the worst Power 5 teams in all of college football. I'm not going to say the worst, but one of the worst teams in all of Power 5 college football. And I got a 12, I got a 29-point lead. I need a 12-point win. They get blown out in the second half, losing overtime. Stanford wins 49 or 46-43. I went 2-1 this weekend in which a team I predicted to cover an 11.5-point spread had a 29-point second-half lead. Come on, Dion. So I went 2-1 over the weekend. 1,008, 916, and 5 is the overall record. Keep in mind, if you're a real-life gambler, I had no idea that I was just supposed to use units when I first started, and I've never actually started to do it right because I'm too far down that rabbit hole. But I'm ahead overall because I got some good juice bets when I bet on golf a couple times. But the record-wise, I'm below the magic threshold of 53%, which you got to be at. I'm going for a big juice bet uh, today. Uh, Alex Bregman plus 700 to get a base hit. I like his matchup. I'm going to take Alex Bregman getting a hit. If I get that right, boy, that's a a huge uh, unit bet right there. So I got Alex Bregman plus 700 to get a, a win or get a hit. I'm not looking at either baseball game overall, though. I think it's two evenly matched pitching matchups. And both everybody's bullpen is going to be doing okay. So I, I don't like touching that either of these two games overall. Dallas and Chargers are Monday night football tonight. And I really like the over. Not love, but I like the over 51. So those are my two bets. Bregman getting a hit. Dallas and Chargers going over the 51. And that does it for today's version. 
of Doug Franz Unplugged presented by Whirlwind Golf Club at Wild Horse Pass. If you haven't done it yet, please go to unpluggedatwhirlwind.com, unpluggedatwhirlwind.com, and check out the Whirlwind Plus plan, which is fantastic. And the weather is going to break this week and be less than 100 degrees at the end of the week. But it's only like 103, so big deal. And you can save hundreds of dollars by becoming a Whirlwind Plus member for either $34 a month or as inexpensive as a one-time yearly fee of $299. It saves you a ton. You get to make a tea time within five days of your tea time, and you get the lowest rate that day. Plus, you save 15% on your food and beverage at Civlik, and you save 15% in the pro shop. You can easily make your money back in two or three visits. That's it. Plus discounts on rooms and at the spa if your spouse wants to go. How about that? That's money in the bank. Become a Whirlwind Plus member. All the information is at unplugged at whirlwind.com. Unplugged at whirlwind.com. The best sandwich in all of Arizona is a Nashville hot chicken sandwich at Bell's Nashville Kitchen. You can get great, the best breakfast burritos in the history of the planet. If you, you think I'm joking, go try it. Burrito Express, seven locations all across the east side. He's not joking. I promise. Yeah, there you go. Jeff Weir Production. I mean, you'll be fired up. And you can set a a, a Weir record because Jeff Weir has never actually finished a whole burrito from Burrito Express. I ate it later, though. So try to go with Jeff and then maybe pay him for seconds or something like that. Maybe cut the burrito in half and eat his other half. Hey, that'll be great. Congratulations to you. It's still over 100 degrees this week. You never know when your air conditioner says, that's it, we're done. Call Parker & Sons as soon as that happens. They don't charge you anything extra for nights, weekends, or emergencies. 602 repair. That's 602, the number two. Then R-E-P-A-I-R for Parker & Sons. Heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. And the official sports bar of Doug Franz Unplugged is Rosati's. And that is in Chandler. Only the Rosati's in Chandler at Ray & McQueen. That's what you want to focus on. Great coverage of the Diamondbacks coming up tomorrow here on WTSMTV.com. The main event is up next. I'll see you tomorrow.